Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are so excited to bring you from the film Barbara Lee Speaking Truth to Power. We have the film's director, Abby Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here with us. Happy to be here. And can you introduce the film to our audience? Sure. So this is a film about my representative, Barbara Lee, who represents the East Bay. So we're talking Oakland, Berkeley, and San Leandro. And Barbara has been my representative as long as she's been in Congress. So, you know, this is a story that I really very badly wanted to tell. I mean, she's known to the extent that she is known, you know, at all out there in the world. She's known for her lone no vote against the 2001, you know, authorization for use of military power after 9-11. But there is so much more to her story and so much more that leads up to how she was able to be the lone no vote that I really wanted to sort of, you know, answer the question of what makes this woman tick what gives her, you know, kind of this inner core of integrity and how can, you know, what do we understand about the ways in which she is mentoring and has mentored a whole new generation of young women in color who are now serving in public office. So that was kind of the initial motivation. And the film is kind of a deep dive into what motivates Barbara and kind of what were the, you know, things that she went through in her early life that really formed her. I mean, you know, part of what she attributes her her commitment to social and racial justice is the fact that, you know, she was born in segregated El Paso and she almost didn't make it into this world because her mother was a black woman and they were just like going to leave her to die on a gurney in the hospital. So it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. As Barbara says, her first breath was all about racial justice. And mm. so, you know, and so you sort of see how that builds up throughout the rest of her life. And as I say, this was a story that I just felt very, I don't know, sort of, you know, the way people say it, I felt called to tell it. And I think, um, you know, even though I'm a white woman, I'm a progressive white woman. And I, there was something about the ways in which Barbara inspired me that I thought I would be, a, first I had to get her to agree to the film, but that I thought would be useful for inspiring others and for people who are thinking about running for public office, et cetera. So that was also a big part of the motivation was to get her story sort of encapsulated in a way that if you were a young African-American, Latina, whatever, thinking about running for office, you'd look at Barbara and say, well, she wasn't born with this as part of her DNA. Mm-hmm. How did she make it happen? And what can I do and who can I kind of bring into the fold to help me so that maybe I could actually think about running and winning? And I, that was a big piece of this because the film was started long before the election of 2018 when so many fabulous women, progressive women of color got elected to the house. But when I was making this film, there weren't lots of people running. And, you know, and so... The world has, and the the landscape has sort of shifted out from under where we were when I started this film in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, just as a side note, after watching this film, Erin said she now wants to run for office. So you're, <laughs> no, you're oh, in- I, that's, I think that's fabulous. <laughs> it Seriously. worked. I mean, I, you know, 
I mean, one of the, let, let's take one of the themes of the film because I think this kind of goes to that. You know, one of the themes of the film is something that Ayanna Presley says, which is those that are closest to the pain are often the people most competent to serve because they understand the issues. So if we are looking at a cutback in, you know, federal housing assistance mm -hmm. or in food stamps or in any other, you know, cuts to women's, the safety. Women's rights. <laughs> women's rights, women's reproductive rights. Right. Barbara has been through some kind of a crisis or experience in her life that makes it intensely personal. And, you know, now that she is willing to speak about it. So as a young mother on food stamps, you want to cut the food stamp program? How was I supposed to feed my kids? As a young mother, I bought my first house with, a, you know, for $19,000 because I got a federal loan. Um, you know, if you want to talk about domestic violence and the ways in which that relates to people being unhoused, look at me. So there is a way in which so much of the kind of current discussions that we are having about everything in this society Barbara has had an experience with it. Um, and, you know, one of the things we say in the, we say it in the film and we say it in, you know, the written material that goes with the film, Barbara cut her teeth working for the Black Panther Party. Well, one, you know, as a community volunteer, well, what was that about? There were no medical clinics. There was no food available. People mm -hmm. needed, you know, people needed chickens and stuff from the big box stores. And Barbara was one of the people making sure that those bags were stuffed and given to people who were in need. And so there's, you know, there's like a direct, I would say, line from that level of community activism to the things she's fighting for now in Congress and, and with a particular eye towards racial equity in her home city of Oakland. Mm -hmm. so when the HIV epidemic is seen as solely a kind of white gay male problem, and she's like, excuse me, in my district, we have African-American men and women dying from this epidemic. Could we please get some resources to this town, get some testing done here and, you know, help people survive? That's because of how she sees the world, that that kind of came together. And so, I mean, again, she declares Alameda County as a state of emergency when no other, Brilliant. Country, other mm -hmm. county in the country had done that. And it's like, OK, how are we going to get some eyes and some help to Oakland? We're going to do this by understanding what's happening in Oakland as something that is also happening in many other cities across this country, but I'm, I represent Oakland, let's make it happen here first. Um, and, and that, you know, it was true about making sure that people in, you know, in the Fruitvale um, district of um, mm -hmm. Oakland were getting tested and so on. So she is actually not hypersensitive. She is just aware in a way that few people are about how racial inequity ends up in poor health poor nutrition, poor education, poor everything. And she is such a fighter that her understanding of all these things really empowers her, you know, to help enact good legislation to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Abby, I, I'm loving your energy. So thank you yes. for bringing it. <laughs> Abby, I, it. I hope you're running, Abby. Yeah. I vote for you. I <laughs> know. Oh, I, I miss my time. Uh, this, look, this is a generational thing also. Barbara and I are sort of the same generation. She's a couple of years older than I am, but only a few. In my generation, people I know, I, I know one elected official that I've known from back in the day. That's Bill Monning, who's a state senator. I don't know. I mean, I've met people since they've been elected, but nobody who started where I did is like, you know, volunteering for the United Farm Workers ended up running for elected office. We didn't do that. And so Barbara was interesting to me because Barbara, when she first started getting interested in politics, was not even registered to vote. I was at least registered to vote, but I yeah. didn't want anything to do with the world that she has really mastered. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And she, you know, you have to be a master negotiator. And there's another Mm -hmm. line in the film about, you know, don't just try to enact legislation around the edges, go for the big stuff. So you have something to negotiate with. You know, if you're trying to get, you know, support for women, uh, you know, single mothers, blah, 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 and food stamps, don't agree to too small a package because then you have nothing to, you know, to work with. And so I think Barbara has really kind of learned those lessons and is able now to teach them so that we see now with very progressive, you know, women of color in Congress, it's like, well, that's where they're going. They're going for the big picture and they're winning some big battles. I'm shouting out Cori Bush for what she just did. Yeah. Around the mm-hmm. global housing yes. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, Barbara may be a progenitor of that, but Corey did it. And why did she do it? Because she knew what it meant to be unhoused. And yeah. she was like, I'm here to talk about my experience. I'm a member of this august body of Congress, and I'm going to sit here until you decide to respond. And yeah. I, you know, my hat is off to her for that. That was tremendous. And the fact that she got AOC to join her and other yep. people, you know, terrific. But, you know, this is, this is, a tradition that is now being passed on to the next generation. And it's one that, you know, I wanted to call out in the film because it's so important that people learn the lessons that if you have something to say, say it loud and say it clear, you know, and even if people don't go with you on the first round, so let's talk about that for Barbara, you know, there are mm-hmm. so many things she's mm-hmm. been for year after year after year, none more important than Congress taking back its war making authority. You know, she right. was low, no vote in 2001. Then she got a few people to come along with her and vote against the invasion of Iraq, but not enough. And that went through. And now, 20 years later, right. she finally got it through the House. We finally have a House vote on record of, for repealing the AUMF, for which she was the only And, you know, by 267 votes with 47 Republicans. So you better have the long view if it's going to take 20 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Half of your life. Yeah. And she has it. So, I mean, again, I just feel like, look, all I am is a, you know, a lowly filmmaker, but I want to shine my camera on people who have the vision and the long view and are able, you know, to sort of sustain the work for this length of time. Yeah. Um, Andrew, okay. If I t- ask a yeah, question, of course. <laughs> um, I, Ange and I see a lot of films and um, we were just speaking uh, specifically about this film uh, and about another film we saw somewhat recently. It was a documentary as well about someone and what you did so well in this film, we both thought was this wasn't a branding film about Barbara Lee. It really was about her story and you balanced it so well. Um, How, I mean, I know you've been doing this for a long time and it's experience, but how do you do that? Because it could have been a branding film about Barbara, yeah. but it wasn't. And, and and it needed not to be a campaign film because Barbara doesn't need a campaign film. No, so are you kidding? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It needed to be a portrait film. I mean, a really good documentary is always a portrait showing, you know, so that it, it kind of needs to be a warts and all things. So for example, you know, the decision to include that Barbara didn't like speaking about the fact that she was once a welfare mother, you know, and that mm. she needed to be prodded into it. That's that tells you, okay, so this she doesn't come wholly formed here. You know, she's a work in progress just like we all are. And that really, you know, I I, you try to find those moments that tell that to the audience that this is not, you know, hey geographic. I mean, that's not what it's about. I mean, here's a real person with, you know, kind of real capacity and real commitments, 
but you know, I mean, run for office. Well, she was like, that's not really who I am. And she had to be pushed and she had to sort of be, you know, kind of convinced. And as she says, you know, my mother and my sister went to every bar in Oakland. Yes. You know, trying to get people I to love that. Well, I love I mean, that. That would be us. Yeah. That. Yeah. That'd be you us. Learn, you learn this later about Barbara. Barbara doesn't drink. So right. Margaret, she would have hated being in all those bars, but her mother and her <laughs> sister have no problem drinking. We're like, yeah, we'll take care. Of, we'll do that part. Um, so it, it's again, it is a you know, it was the challenge that my editor and I faced at every stage of this, you know, figuring out uh, like when does the 9-11 story come mm. into the film? That's like right. an important question. Yeah. If you open with it, you don't care enough about Barbara to figure out the impact of that. If you wait too long, everybody's looking at their watch and saying, well, when's that story coming in? Mm-hmm. So it, the, the challenge of filmmaking is like the challenge of knitting a blanket or whatever. It's like you've got to make sure that the, you know, that the stitches are done in kind of the right order. And if you screw it up, you somehow know it as you're sitting there in the edit room. Mm-hmm. And so but and that's why it takes so long to make these films. You know, even yes. once you're done shooting them, <laughs> I mean, the reason it takes so long is because you know, this is art, not science. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't write it up first. I was like, okay, we have, you know, you move your little post-its because you think this is the order and then you try that order and you're like, no, that's not working. Let's try mm-hmm. again. And so it is an, what we call an iterative process. It's like writing. It's like, okay, throw that page away, throw that scene away, try something else. And, it, you know, you just have to keep at it till you feel like, okay, we finally got it. And then you have to show it to people to see whether you're right, whether or not you've got it yet. Mm -hmm. So that is a lot of, you know, kind of what went into this. And we, we were, I think, you know, my editor and I in this one were in sync. And at some, I'll tell you, the day I had a car accident was the day I was going to show the film to Barbara. So say I was a little like uh, nervous. Oh yeah, just like some retaining wall came (laughs) right into my car. Oh God! Um, But you know, nobody. I I mean, I didn't get hurt. I hit it at three miles an hour. But I was like, "Mm, I wonder if that has something to do with my anxiety about showing. (laughs) Um, You know, because there's always that moment where you're not quite sure that the way in which you've captured somebody is how they either see themselves or want to be seen or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was a big relief that, you know, by and large, she was pretty happy with it. Um, there's, let me say one other thing about doing a portrait film. Your subject has no idea what you're doing. They really can't. I, I, I don't care about <laughs> documentaries they've seen. They just don't have any idea of what, you know, of all the things that they've done with you and let you film and so on. They just don't quite know how you're going to put it all together. And so another film that I did about Felton Henderson, an African-American judge, when I asked him after I'd let him see it before he was going to go see it with 800 people on opening night, <laughs> I said, so what do you think? He said, well, I liked it. And I kept wanting to see what was going to happen next. And what he meant by that was he didn't know what piece of his story I was going to go to next. <laughs> because you can't do it all. It, yeah. isn't, it isn't somebody's CV. It's you're trying to kind of, as I say, build a portrait or build sort of, you know, a clay, you know, you're sculpting something here. And so you leave a lot out. You know, Barbara thought I should have had more about her international work. Well, that would have started to feel to me like too much ticking stuff off. And so Mm. I didn't feel like the film could hold that. Um, But that's legit. That's a legitimate piece of feedback for me. And I'm like, okay, well, next time, (laughs) you know, next time. Barbara Lee part two. (laughs) But I mean, she's done it, enough it, for that. Yeah. yeah, she certainly has. And, you know, she 
I think she was like a little myth that I didn't have, you know, how much work she'd done in Cuba or Grenada or even Africa. And I was like, well, I just felt somehow this had a domestic orientation Mm -hmm. um, and that I was going to try to stick with that. But I think that's another interesting thing is that there is this big gap between, you know, they know that you filmed them doing X, Y, and Z, but they have no idea what a film is going to really either look like or feel like to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know, that's kind of, that's, again, that's part of the process. And when you're sort of done, you sort of say, well, here's the cake. I hope you like it. <laughs> a lot of time baking it. Um, yeah. Making it and baking it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Abby, are you a professor? I feel like yeah. I'm just learning, no, so learning much. a lot. I, I would no. like to just sit down and hear you continue talking. Uh, about I the appreciate process. that. But let me say that I taught, uh, I started my career as a lawyer and I taught law school for five or six years, I think. And I was like, I have got to find something else to do with my life. And that's what led me to filmmaking. So I'm not a professor and I don't teach filmmaking, but I am using, I want to say this, that, you know, because I've done a lot of films, I am now helping others as a, you know, as a close reviewer and giving feedback. Oh. I mean, literally, that's what I was doing right before I came here. You know, that you can look at somebody else's work and have a feeling for what's really working and what isn't quite working and be useful. You know, not even so much as a mentor, just as an advisor on a given film. You know, I think this would be stronger if you delete that and move there faster and so on. So, no, I don't teach per se in a classroom, but I feel like I do a lot of mentoring of both younger filmmakers and of film projects that need, Mm. you know, that need kind of a, I don't know. And I that's been around the block a few times. Well, we might be reaching out a little later. But, yeah, we'll, uh, talk to you. Anyway. <laughs> we'll talk to you about this after we okay. stop recording. <laughs> Seriously, we're a little older than young filmmakers, but yes. we still need help nonetheless. But yeah, yeah. no, just uh, just appreciate. Yeah. Um, and I, I did read in, in an interview you were giving advice to young filmmakers to, and you told them to try to find the stories that you are the best person to tell. And I think that's just such a great way of looking at it and and let me I want to just say something about that because what makes you the best person to tell and there's a story that people came to me and they like why don't you just like take this project off our hands and you tell the story and I was like because you're the ones with the passion and the energy Mm -hmm. and the commitment to making sure that this story gets done that's why I'm not right for you you know and not only that you don't have any money to hire me anyway but (laughs) there are times where an inexperienced filmmaker will cut their teeth on a project that they are the, you know, they are the people who should tell the story. Why? Because on the Richter scale of how much they care, they're at a hundred and everybody else is at 25. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by that. Not necessarily that you're, you know, again, I'm not an African-American woman, but the reason I was the right person to tell this story is because of how desperately I wanted the story to be told. Mm -hmm. That's what I brought to this table you know, was an understanding of Barbara's role, you know, both in, in both in Congress and in the world uh, speak, you know, sort of larger, writ larger. And I wanted desperately to share that. And I, you know, I, I actually think that today I might not be able to make this film. I certainly wouldn't have been able to make it without mm. a, a full-time black co-producer, but, but my goal in making this was to do justice to her story. And I was passionate about that from day one. And I think her staff understood, you know, that I would do my damnedest to be true to her story and to try to capture her in, you know, the best possible way that I could. But again, it's not a love poem. It's a, you know, it's trying to be true to the story and true to the history and 
What does it mean to be a black woman born in the mid forties, you know, coming up against all the barriers that she faced and overcoming them, but not expecting necessarily to overcome them. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. like each thing was its own mountain to climb mm -hmm. and lessons learned. And how do you take that and go on to the next thing? You know, uh, and so I, I just feel like she was, a I, I mean, she's just a really important role model for me. Mm -hmm. um, and her stories are important. Where yeah. she is now and where she came from, it's, it's unbelievable. She was my rep for a while as well. And I didn't know half of the things that came up in the documentary. So well, here's, let me just say something. She's a very private person. That's why she hated the fact that I was making it. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, she was private enough that when I got invited to her wedding, I didn't know who it was from. Um, she, I, I mean, I'm making a film about the woman. I don't even know there's a man friend in her life. And the next thing I know, I'm being invited to a New Year's Eve wedding in Los Angeles, I had to read that invitation four times and then call her family to say, is this our Barbara Lee? I mean, I can't Am I being punked? Am I being punked? I heard about the guy. I was like, and they were like, honey, you're not alone. We didn't know about it either. So then I was like, okay, so she's keeping this all to herself until she's ready to announce it. But that was pretty funny. I was like, Barbara, <laughs> married to somebody I've never even heard a word about. So, and the wedding is in the film, as you saw, and it's like, I love that. Moments. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. not to love that, right? I mean, how special. Yeah. It, how special yeah. It was to find love late in life. I loved it. Loved it. It's but inspiring. I'm a single woman. And I was like, I talk about being inspired. I was like really inspired. by. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll be ready by the time I'm 60 or 70. I'll, I'll maybe be ready. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I, I, it's like watching what Barbara was able to pull off there. I was like, I think I'm ready, but I don't know if I'm patient enough or tolerant enough or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a quick question before we wrap. Um, you again, you've been, you've been, your eyes have gone around the block a few times in, in the business. Um, I just want to know from you, what do you think uh, is changing in the documentary world? And is it changing for the good? Yeah, I, I think it is really changing for the good. So when I started, um, you know, it was hard to get a film seen. I mean, you only had film festivals. You didn't have streaming platforms that were interested. You know, Stanley Nelson was also just starting out. Now Stanley can make a film about anything he wants. He's, you know, we're going <laughs> to there you're going to open the Toronto International Film Festival, mm. his film about Attica. And I just want to say, as a law student, I worked on Attica in the summer of 1973. So mm. I'm like, I am tied to that history in a fundamental way. And I am mm. so happy that things have moved in this direction. I mean, and you know, we ended up with three great documentaries about Tulsa. Who, none of us know anything about Tulsa. Right. You know, and so Nat Geo... I can't even remember the three. I mean, it's HBO, Nat Geo, and something else. Oh, you I know, think Amazon all... actually. Amazon okay. Prime is so, pretty good. So we ended up with three, three different streaming platforms finding three different. Oh, it was PBS actually. Also, oh, you know, all commissioned films on the anniversary, the hundredth anniversary of Tulsa. That was mm. pretty amazing. Um, so for me, because I work on issues about racial and social justice, I am like really happy. At both, not only what's being funded, but at the level of kind of public support and recognition for films that are really important. I'm going to shout out another film, Belly of the Beast. Oh, oh we yeah. had on. We had her we on. We covered that. Okay, yes, well, what intense. an important story. And yeah. she and did a fabulous job with her impact campaign. Yes, and no, we clue. Have no clue. Corporations in California. 
Yes. She, it made change. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, that's, you know, so why am I happy about the changes that have happened in the documentary world is because there is now, I mean, maybe it's because we've lived with, you know, fake news for so long that this is a way to learn things about our history. Yes. We don't have to read, you know, 400, 500 page books. We can watch something for an hour and a half. I mean, I learned so much about Tulsa and I never probably would have read a book about it. Right. So I'm like, this is the way in our generation, you know, for information to be disseminated. And I am so grateful that so much good work is being produced and people are finding outlets to stream it or to show it. And, you know, film festivals managed to survive the pandemic. God knows how, but we did, you know, mm-hmm. films and, and, and in fact, increase their base. So more people could watch stuff at home. Um, and I would say, you know, I mean, my favorite film, you know, my favorite sort of film from the entertainment side was Summer of Soul. I mean, well, oh, yes, yes, yeah. First effort. I mean, we know Questlove is brilliant, but right. that's his first real film. And so I'm like, OK, how <laughs> fabulous that somebody figured out he was the person to do this. To tell it. What a mm-hmm. job. So I am finding, you know, I'm just finding it a great moment to mm. be in this world. And, and I just want to say, because the Barbara Lee film will be streaming, it will be available on Amazon, it will be available on iTunes, and it will be available in theaters. And this is my kind of final comment on this. I love how streaming makes things much more accessible and in yeah. many ways much more national. You know, it's yeah. like if a theater in Iowa isn't going to show the film, you can just go to Amazon, doesn't matter. Correct. It's all cool. However, <laughs> in my humble opinion, Films that are seen and heard on the big screen are really different. And yes. so I got to see my own film for the first time last week, right? At the, at the theater of the Grand Lake Theater. Oh, the Grand Lake. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Watching a different, I mean, I felt like I was watching a different film from the film that I had worked on editing, had seen on my small screen, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, this is really a movie. How <laughs> cool is that? So I want to just say it's available both, you know, through the Shattuck. It'll be at the Shattuck for a week. Starting oh, great. August 20th. Okay. It'll be at the Roxy in San Francisco. For Yay. We love the Roxy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, you know, I would really encourage people to go see it on the big screen, come masked, sit far away from anybody who's not in your immediate party, <laughs> but go see it because there are just things that happen on the big screen that you can't replicate on your computer screen or on your TV. So I, I, again, I'm very happy that we are, you know, increasing exposure to all these great new films. Um, but I still, I don't, I don't want us to walk away from theaters because I do think that there's something special that happens when you see a film with an audience. People laugh together. They cry together. They, you get, you know, people feel things together. And that's a very unique experience. It really only happens at the movies. And I was going to say your focus is on the film. You're not, I mean, you're not really supposed yeah, not to be looking at your phone or anything else. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Watching exactly. a screen. <laughs> In the yeah. dark, hopefully. Yes, exactly. exactly. Right. So I just would encourage your listeners, you know, to find this film either on a streaming platform or in a theater near you in the next couple of weeks, starting August 20th for one week. Um, it's also going to be in Sebastopol. At the oh, theater. okay. Yeah. And, and I'm going to take it to Boston. So um, it'll be at Boston at the Kendall Square on August 20th. And yours truly will be, you know, doing a Q&A. So that's cool. cool. 
Well, Abby, we love this film. We love your energy. This has been Thank so you. much fun. Are you not in Oakland anymore? Are you now? I am. No, I am in Oakland. I just okay. coast on vacation right now. Yeah, but I no, I'm I'm based in Berkeley. Okay, well, maybe we can have a single ladies drink one day. I to, you know, <laughs> I'd be happy to yeah, I would love to just soak up all of your energy and all of your knowledge. Thank you for sharing everything with us. Thank you. Oh, for thank film. you for having me. This yeah, was this was so great. Thank you. It was for really having- fun. Again, we've been speaking with the director, Abby Ginsberg of Barbara Lee, Speaking Truth to Power. Check it out at a theater near you or on a, a streaming device. Thank you. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.